So tonight's class, prophets, priests, kings, and oxen. Parenting, parenting a child is really hard work. Some of you know this. Parenting a child is really, really hard work. Um, if I were to ask you for words that would come to mind when you describe parenting, uh, I'm sure there would be words like uh, difficult. Uh, I'm sure there would be uh, words like uh, exasperating. Um, I'm, I'm sure the, the words like uh, labor and and burden. I mean, parenting is a very difficult, difficult task for sure. Ted Tripp says this. Parenting will mean that you can't do all the things that you could otherwise do. It will affect your golf handicap. It may mean your home does not look like a picture from better homes and gardens. It will impact your career and ascent on the corporate ladder. It will alter the kind of friendships you will be available to pursue. It will influence the kind of ministry you are able to pursue. It will modify the amount of time you have for bowling, hunting, television, or how many books you read. It will mean that you cannot develop every interest that comes along. The costs are very high. But parenting is really hard work, and I know that in 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 my house there will be uh, there will be times where uh, a day will go by or uh, a week will go by, and it seems like it, it's, it's everything we can do to make sure that the children are fed and asleep at night and not in the emergency room, which is every few months. It seems like we're we're there. And often the, the time and the energy and the focus that that takes, uh, at the end of that day, when, when you look around at uh, our house, for example, it, 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 it may not exactly be what we were hoping for. And sometimes Kristen will will come to me discouraged at the end of a day like that. And, and her words to me will be, how she's feeling is, I, I didn't get anything done today. And I had a list. And none of it, none of it is done. And my wife and I are huge list people. Just love checking things off of a list. And so we have a hard time at the end of a day. If, and so she say, I, just, I got nothing done today. And then we have to remember... We have to remember that you know, our kids are loved, our kids are fed, our kids are asleep, our, our, our kids are safe. It was a good day. And sometimes, because of the hard work that parenting is, that is all that you can do. And if that's a priority, sometimes other things are just not going to be the way that you would like them to be. We have a favorite verse um, that we have it hanging up on our on our wall. It's from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1 and then verse 4. Some of you have heard this. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. And then verse 4, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. So children are oxen. And if you've got oxen, the manger is not always going to be clean. But what would you rather have? I mean, this is how we look at that verse. What would you rather have? Would you rather have a, a clean manger or abundant crops? 
you know, both, right? Both. But if you got to choose one, you know, what's it going to be? Is it going to be a clean manger? Everything looks good on the outside, but there's, there's no fruit. There's no abundant crops. Or is it that there would be abundant crops? We would have, we would have fruit and maybe the, maybe the manger is a, is a wreck. That is going to be the case a lot of the time because parenting simply is hard work. So if our goal and our hope is salvation for our children, that is our goal and that is our hope, then we must bring our children to Christ. If that's our goal and that's our hope, that our children would would be saved, then our priority is we want to bring our children to Christ. Quite literally, the way people were doing in Mark chapter 10, right? Where they were bringing their children literally to Jesus. And that is what we want to do now. We want to bring our children, we want to lead little ones to Christ. We recognize that how important this is because our the, the hearts of our children are in trouble. Our, our children are not born good. Our children, just like just like you and me, I know it's hard to believe and it's hard for me to believe every time, you know, when I look at this, you know, cute, cuddly baby. I mean, you give it a few months and then it becomes clear. But at first, it's hard to believe there is nothing. There's nothing wicked. There's nothing evil in this child. I mean, they're just just perfect. I mean, I still talk about Avery and she's just she's perfect. Um, But the reality is. Right. That we have gone astray, the Bible says, in the womb. We come forth speaking lies. We were conceived in sin. The Bible tells us that the heart we have is is deceitful beyond all things, and it is beyond cure. Who can understand it? So the truth is, is that our children are born sinners, and and, and that's that's not that's not good. We want to see what's best for them, and so we want to see them reconciled to God. So the good news is, though, when you when you think of your kids and, and imagine your kids and your un, un, how are you describe it, your your unbelieving, unregenerate children, the good news is that they are blessed. And the way that they are blessed is a question that you can answer, and that is, who is their mom and dad? That is a that is a blessing to your children. Friends, listen, the, the, the children of, of Christians are especially blessed. Especially blessed. They have been entrusted to parents who know Christ. Right? Who can, who can then lead them to Christ. So the good news is, while, while our, our, children are sinful, the good news is that look at who their mommy and daddy are. Believing parents. What a blessing that is for our kids. So they desperately need the cleansing, regenerating, forgiving, saving power of Christ. But here's the deal. We cannot control what our children do with Christ or what Christ does with our children. But we can cradle them in our prayers and put them in the lap of Christ. And that's the picture that I would want you to have. So we've got to get this out of our minds. We cannot control 
what our children are going to do with Christ or what Christ is going to do with our children. We have no control over that. And parents kill themselves trying to control that. And if you're trying to control that now, you are setting yourself up for despair and depression. You cannot control what your children do with Christ and what Christ does with your children. But what you can do is you can cradle your children in your prayers. You can cradle them and very, you really can. You can then put them into the lap of Christ. You can bring them to Christ. You can lead them to Christ. And that's what we're trying to talk about. Okay, how do I do that? What does that practically look like? And I would say this right off the bat, that when it comes to leading our kids to Christ, and then we'll work through this outline, we can either help them or hinder them from Christ. So we're either, you could just evaluate your days, right? Did I, did I help my kids to Christ or did I hinder them for Christ? Was I a stumbling block today? And we want to help them to Christ. So first let's look at how we hinder. Okay, how do we, how do we hinder our kids from Christ? And you and I will find ourselves hindering our children. Okay, you will. And that's why next week, I mean, we will be stumbling blocks at times and and God's will will be done sometimes in spite of our of our disobedience. We'll talk about evaluating that and dealing with that next week. But here are some ways that we we need to be aware that we hinder our kids from Christ. And, And of course, in articulating these ways that we hinder, we're also implying ways that we help because when you you do the opposite of this. Right. And you're you're actually helping them. So. How do we hinder our kids? Three ways. Number one, we hinder our children when we ourselves do not go to Jesus. We hinder our children when we ourselves do not go to Jesus. If we do not go to Jesus, if we don't go to Jesus, how can we expect our our children to do so? If we don't commune with Jesus, why would we expect our children to commune with Jesus? If we don't worship Jesus, why would we expect our children to do it? Some of you had parents, right, who who dropped you off at church. And they dropped you off at church because they, they wanted you to get some religion. But then you came home and you didn't see any of it. So you sure weren't following their lead in regards to religion, whatever it was, or, or Christianity. Our children need to see this in us, do, do, do our children see us praying to Jesus? Do our children, do, do, can they tell that we need Jesus? Can they tell that, that we need him? Do they know that we're thankful to Jesus? And so I just, I would say it like this, wear your relationship with Christ on your sleeve. And some of you, I know that's difficult because some of you are very, you're very private people and you may be even, you know, private with your kids, but... But you, you don't want to shelter them. You don't, you don't want to hide from them your personal relationship with Christ. Right? So if you, if you read your Bible, let them see you read your Bible. You don't want them to be, you know, 15 years old. They're like, do you ever read your Bible? And you're like, I read my Bible every day. You know, but you read it at four in the morning and they never, you know, they never, and then you never, and then you, and then you never read it again, which is great. I mean, you were disciplined in reading your Bible, but they never got to, they never got to see it. read read your Bible in front of your kids. If you're if you're frustrated and having a difficult day and you're with your kids, pray out loud. I mean, appropriately, appropriately, you know what you say in the prayer. You might have to run through a filter or something, but you know, but cry out to God in front of your kids. 
You got worship music playing. Sing, sing out. You, you feel yourself getting uh, emotional because of something that the, the a way that God through His Holy Spirit is ministering to you or something. Let your kids see that. I mean, we have had full-on breakdowns at our dinner table, where Chris and I are just like we're breaking down. Their kids are looking at us like you know deers caught in headlights. Like what? The, what is going on? What is happening? And we didn't just like pull it together and leave. That would have really messed them up. But we, you know, we talk to them and say, well, here's what's going on. And you know, we're upset about something or we're sad about something or we're worried about something and then pray with them. So it's just, you know, just different ways that, that you, you want. Let, let them hear you pray. Pray for them, but pray with them. Pray for them in front of them. Um, so we want, we want our kids to see to see us going to Jesus, to we want them to see us trusting God and, and holding fast to our, His promises. We hinder our children when we show little interest in in spiritual things. So if we're telling our kids about Christ, but our Bibles lie untouched, for example, if our Bibles lie untouched from Sunday to Sunday, and our religion is a matter of empty forms and rites devoid of the um, power of true godliness, if we're just we, we talk about it on Sunday and we talk about you know the sermon and maybe the worship music and Sunday school, but but that's it. You, you, our, our kids are going to notice that. Our kids are going to see that, and they're going to be able to tell that it's not. It's not really what you're saying it is. Number two, we hinder our children when we fail to live in, in integrity. So, in other words, if, if we're just talking about devotion to God and we're just um, talking about obeying God, but then our kids see us not obeying God, that's going to hinder our kids from Christ. They, they need to see integrity. They need to see integrity. We'll get to this. That's why if you mess up in front of your kids, you've You've got to repent to your kids. You've got to confess your sin to your kids. You cannot sweep that under the carpet. You, you're going to mess up. We, we don't want them to you know, see hypocrisy. Mom and dad say one and, and do another. We don't, we don't want secrets. Right? We, don't, we don't want our kids to know things uh, about us and, and ways that we're not holy and just think that they're blind spots or things that we don't care about or things that we don't notice or things that we don't pay attention to. Remember one time it was really convicting. One of my, one of my boys came out and my wife, our, our usual routine is we, um, we, we put our kids to bed and, and uh, we cuddle up on the couch and watch TV. So I know, those of you are anti-TV we just we love doing that. We just cuddle up and watch TV. And so, um, sometimes we'll watch a movie, and we watch for like ten minutes because we fall asleep. But we we start, and uh, sometimes we'll watch a movie or a show. And I remember one time it's happened a few times. One of my boys walked out and say, "Well, what do you want?" And we'll say, "What are you watching?" And we we're wa- watching something that I didn't want them to see. Not like you know, <laughs> but I we, you know I don't want you to see this. I don't know what language or, or something maybe is going to come up and. And so I, I don't want you to see this. And, and, and so I send them, send them back to the room. And, and the question came back, well, why, why can't I watch this show, Daddy? And so I had to really think about my answer. I had to really think about that. And, and I, the particular occasion that I'm remembering, I shouldn't have been watching what I was about to watch. And I couldn't, so I didn't have a good, I didn't have a good answer for him. It wasn't just, well, this has some mature themes and, 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 and this and this and this. And so when you're older, it's like, no, even when you're older, I wouldn't want you to watch this. So we just need to not watch it. Integrity, right? 
did they see us pursuing holiness and, and growing in, in obedience? And then number three, and this is extensive, we hinder our children when we fail to foster Christ-centered conversation in the home. We hinder our children when we fail to foster Christ-centered conversation in the home. So you want to have conversations about Christ in your home. But at, the, at this point, what I want to talk, say is this. In order for those kinds of conversations to take place, we, we need to learn. Some of you are already good at this and you could teach me. But many of us, we need to learn to communicate with our children. We need to learn how to communicate with our children. Not, not talking to our kids or talking at our kids, but talking with, with our kids. That's been very difficult for me. That has been really, really hard for me. Um, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons was just that I, I think I just was, I'm not one of those kid people. I just wasn't. The, so I didn't spend a lot of time with kids growing up. I didn't have any younger siblings or anything like that. And so it was just awkward and uncomfortable to talk to little people and didn't know what to say. And they made me very uncomfortable. And and that's been something I've really had to grow in and figure out and, and try to find resources. You know, how do I communicate with, with children? So let me just read these points to you. Biblical communication is what we're talking about, which is more than expressing one's own ideas. It is the ability to draw out ideas from someone else. This is communication, right? It, it's back and forth. It's talking and listening. It's a two-way conversation. And so listening to our children means that, or, or communication with our children means that we're, we're drawing things out from them. Proverbs 25, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Therefore, biblical communication is a two-way process when you are able to draw someone else out for the purpose of understanding them. It's not monologuing. It's not monologuing. I'm sure you've caught yourself doing that as a parent or you've, you've heard other parents doing it and you started to get judgmental and then you realize that, wait a minute, that's how I sound. The communication with our kids is not monologuing to our children. I know I've had conversations with my kids where I've, I've felt like we had a conversation and then I walked away and realized that they didn't say anything. They didn't say anything. I just, I just talked for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And there was, that's not communication. That, that's not communication. Biblical communication is two-way communication. Th- these two Proverbs from Proverbs 18 are really helpful, right? Proverbs 18, too. A fool delights in expressing his own opinions. We can certainly do that with our kids. In Proverbs 18, 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Hey, we don't want to be parents who cut off our children. They're coming to ask us something. I know what they're going to no, The answer is no. But you don't even know. Yes, I do. I know what you're going to say, and the answer is no. Okay, go ahead and ask it. Yeah, right. No. We don't want to do that. Um, we want to listen. We want to hear that even if we do know what they're going to say. We want them to to know that we want to hear them and that we want to listen to them. When we find a situation, right? You find one son. You find a broken window. You find a baseball sitting at his feet. It looks like pretty clear. It doesn't look like you'd really need any more information. But if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. So you want to listen and you want to ask questions. And here's the sad irony of child rearing. When children are little, 
they want to talk with their parents. When children are little, they want to talk with their parents. Yet when children go into teenagers, parents desperately want their children to talk with them. But often the teenager has learned his lesson well and will often avoid engaging his parents. That's not always why you know a teenager doesn't talk to his parents, but, but that is the irony, right? The typical, not all, the typical teenager doesn't want to talk to his parents very much. And the typical child wants to talk to their parents more than anyone else. The most likely there will come a time, right, where our children are going to think about that. Our children are going to talk to us less and they're going to want to talk to us a lot less. And so when they're this young age, when they're little and they want to talk to us all the time, we want to soak it in. We want to listen. We, we want to we want to hear them. We don't want to be too busy to take the time to invest in conversations with these little ones. And we want to avoid uh, and we don't want to avoid engaging little ones on their level. So my practical advice would just be to, um, you know, to listen to your kids and and kids know when you're not listening. Right. You know, this. they know when you're not listening, when you're multitasking, but you're not really listening. They, they know that they know that the difference I, I've gotten caught in that. And they'll ask me a question like, oh, I feel so terrible. I can't believe that I, I have no idea, no idea what they said. Um, another thing is, what do your you know, what do your what do your kids like to talk about? You know, find out what it is that they like to talk about and ask them questions about what they like to talk about. Peyton has always been so easy because just animals, animals, animals. And he just always wants to talk about animals, animals, animals. And sometimes you're like, I don't want to hear anything else about animals. But I love him and he loves animals. So I need to want to hear more about ducks and how they mate and conversations that we we like to have in our home uh, the first focus of communication must be to help children express their own ideas uh, if your child won't or can't express his own thoughts to you you will not know what the issues of his heart are that you must address that's that's where the, the crux of this is so asking good questions will ha- help you engage your children in this way so let's talk Let's talk briefly about asking questions. Um, this is something I really want to grow in as a dad. Uh, I want to become good at asking questions. You want to be good at asking questions. And, and there's g- wrong questions and there's good questions. The wrong kind of questions are when something happens, say something like, why did you, why did you do that? Okay? And I can tell you from experience, the answer when, when, when sin happens and you ask the question, why did you do that? It is always... It is always the same answer. What is the answer? I don't know. So it's not a, it's not a helpful question. But here's some helpful questions. You know, here's how, so here's how we'll, you know, we'll, we'll deal with it. Um, trying to do no accusations. No accusations. I mean, we try, even if we like caught them red-handed, I still am after confession, not accusation. Right, Satan's the accuser. So I just, I just don't want to have that that label. So we always are trying to secure confessions all the time in our house, and trying to do very little accusations, even if we see them do something. So uh, it just happened this morning. Uh, someone, one of the, uh, one of my sons threw a baseball at the other son's head, hit him. It was bleeding. 
on the, like the side of its head was bleeding from a baseball. You have to throw a baseball hard to crack the skin. And so the, 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 the offended one, the injured one came in and he was, the other one was gone somewhere, could not find him, finally located him. And I knew what had happened. I had, you know, I had testimony, right, from we were eyewitnesses that testified to this. So I, I knew I had him nailed. I knew what the issue was. So I could go out there and say, listen, you know, you're done. Go to your room. I know what you did. So, you know, I might go out and, and, and do like this and say, what did you do? And if you just get nothing out of that, then get more specific. Did you? Did you throw a baseball at your at your brother? I'm just I'm just I want him to say I want him to say it. I want him to say yes, I I did that. And then I might say why did you do that? And usually the answer is I don't know. Um, I was possessed by a demon for a few minutes, but it's exercised. We're good. Um, so I might ask him what were you what were you what were you thinking right before you threw that ball? Well, I was thinking I I really want to see this ball hit his head. Okay, what what were you what were you feeling in your heart? You remember? You remember what you were feeling right before you did that? Yeah, I was feeling angry. Okay, so so now what's happened? Now you're starting to get somewhere. Now you're starting to get a little deeper. Now he's confessing. Now he's confessing sin. Because now you bring a verse. Well, the Bible says in your anger, do not sin. Did you did you obey that? Did you obey God? No, I didn't obey. Okay, okay. Why were you angry? Now we're just going to keep. We're just going to keep backing up, right? Why are you angry? Should you have been angry over that? Were you angry in the right way? But you see what we're doing? We're just, we're, we're, I'm asking questions and then finally getting to the point where I can, you know, confidently say, you know, so it sounds to me like, um, you're struggling here. You know, you're really struggling with loving yourself more than you're loving your brother. And you're, you're called to be, to be, to be kind hearted and tender, forgiving one another as in Christ. God forgave you. And are you applying that verse? Okay, no, you're not. And then we move on to whatever consequences. But but asking questions and then saying something like, Okay, if this happens again, how would you how would you handle this next time? Okay, next time he calls you that name, okay, which led to you being angry, which led to you throwing a baseball at him, how will you handle that next time? Because I he's gonna call you that name again. You know he's gonna call you that name again. So how are you gonna handle it? Do you have a plan on how you're gonna deal with you know, with sin. So now you're having a conversation. There's communication and, and hopefully getting somewhere. Uh, and if you want more on that, I really recommend chapter 13. I think that's in your notes of Ted Tripp's Instructing a Child's Heart. Uh, communication objectives kind of covered that. So not going to not going to do that now. So that that is how we how we hinder. Those are some ways that we hinder. I think those are a big three. But let's get in now to how we help. I mean, because that's what we want to do. We want to lead our, our kids to Christ. So how do we help them toward Christ? First, let me say this. In all of this, be urgent, but don't be desperate. There's an urgency. And we want to help our kids toward Christ. But there is not a desperation here. So you need to go, go back to what I said at the beginning, that we cannot control what our kids do with Christ and what Christ does with our kids. And so... Uh, you don't want to be desperate because there are things that you cannot you cannot control. But you want to be you want to be urgent. There's a sense of urgency in regards to this. Parents are prophets, priests, and kings. 
parents are prophets, priests, and kings. And so I want you to think of yourself as a parent, as a, as a prophet to your kids, as a priest to your kids, and as a, a king to your kids. And that's where we're going to get the praying for my kids more, declaring truth to my kids more, and demonstrating the power of the gospel to our kids more. Here's what I mean by prophet, priest, and, and king. Um, we're talking about Christ. And these are the three, when you look at the, the life and ministry of Christ, and you look at the, the different offices that, that, that he fulfilled, you see that he was the greatest prophet, he was the greatest priest, and he was the greatest king. Christ holds a mediatorial office. He mediates between us and God the Father. So Christ is our prophet, which means he teaches us. He is our priest, which means he intercedes for us. He goes between us and God. And he is our king. He rules over us. That's who Christ is. And now let me quote Joel Beakey and connect this with parenting. So as Christian parents anointed with the spirit of Christ, right? You, it is The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. And that's who is indwelling us as parents. As Christian parents anointed with the Spirit of Christ, we are teachers or prophets by whom the mediator instructs our children. We are intercessors or priests who obtain his help for them and channels through whom he blesses them. And we are ministers or kings of his kingdom through whom he rules over them. So some of you have heard this, some of you haven't. So Christ is prophet, priest, and king. And every Christian is, in a sense, a prophet, priest, and king as you are in Christ and he is fulfilling his mission through us. Okay, that means that we're prophets in the sense that we should be declaring truth. Um, we are priests in the sense that we should be a prayerful people interceding on behalf of others to God on their behalf. And we are kings in that we should be organizing and ruling and, and leading and using the authority that we have well and in a godly way. And the same is true for us as parents. So let's take them one at a time. Parents are prophets. The, the word prophet literally means mouthpiece of God. So as parents, we are mouthpieces of God to our children. We set forth the mind and will of God as revealed in the Bible. This is what we do with our kids. We set forth the mind and the will of God as it is revealed in the Bible. And we do this both formally and informally. So there are formal times, there are, there are structured times you may have and, and predetermined times and scheduled times and organized times where you're going to teach your children. But this is also informally. This is the, as Deuteronomy 6 talks about, the teaching your children as you go. Verse 4 and following. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. For Genesis 18:19, I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, 
And Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but what do we do? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So parents are prophets in that we are here to teach our children. Here's some different topics that we should teach our children. Just to name a few, but at least these. Who God is and what He is like. The seriousness of sin. Hell. Teach our kids about hell. The necessity of the new birth. Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. The necessity for our children to have faith. We should teach them about sanctification and holiness. We should teach them about the joys of heaven. And much, much more. So there's a lot. There's a lot to teach our kids. Which is why we want to be teaching them all the time. Some practical suggestions or, or recommendations about what this could what this could look like. One is, and again in October we'll do the whole class on it, but one is, is family worship. So we have a really crazy schedule right now because of um, church and uh, school and uh, sports. So it's difficult for us all to find a time where we can uh, be together as a family at the time that usually works for us, which is, is, is in the evening. Um, so what we do is we set aside certain evenings during the week and we'll have family worship. For us, it works best after dinner. So we eat dinner. Um, the boys all help clear the table. we got chores to do. And then one of them gets the, the family worship stuff out, which is just a binder with a lot of songs in it. Um, and some other resources and then Bibles and whatever we're going through and they put it on the table and then they're done. We just all sit around the table. Sometimes it's 10 minutes long. Uh, sometimes it's 30 minutes long. Sometimes it's 45 minutes long. I mean, it just, it just depends. Um, and we just do three things. We read, we pray, we sing. That's it. Different variations, but we, we're going to, when we worship together, we're going to read God's word. We're going to read God's Word, and we have lots of different ways we do that. We're going to pray together. We usually go around and do prayer requests. We talk about what we need prayer for, and then we all, we all pray for each other. And then we sing. Let one of the boys typically pick a song, uh, something we sing here, and then we sing it together as a family. And then we close in prayer. And then just kind of depending how it goes, right? Sometimes family worship is like five minutes long. And it's five minutes long because it's just it's just not happening on this night. Uh, the kids are squirrely. The kids are too tired. They're getting naughty. They're starting to get disobedient. And so when we first started doing family worship, I was like, no, we're going to sit here and we're going to finish this. And we're going to literally get like that. And we're going to worship God as a family tonight. And we're going to put in our 20 minutes, right? And we're going, to, we're going to read this whole passage. We're singing all six verses of that song. And every one of us is going to pray. And the heart, I mean, the heart behind it was, I want us to worship as a family. But the joy was completely, completely taken out of it. So we work really hard 
um, to make our worship time enjoyable, and we work really hard to make meal time enjoyable. We want those to be enjoyable times, and so we overlook offenses. Um, we we speed things up and hurry them along if we need to, because our goal is to is to do what what we need to do, but for this to be an enjoyable time together for us as a family, lest my kids end up resenting that time. So that is just huge for us. We want them to enjoy that time together. So we have formal times where we come together and we worship together. But then there's other ideas that I um, I wrote down there. Lots of books you can read. Um, you can write your children notes with Bible verses on them. You can memorize Bible verses together as a family. Uh, you can catechize your children. That's a great thing to do that we do. That uh, A catechism is just uh, doctrine put forth through questions and answers. That's all catechism is. So short questions and short answers. And you just work your kids through them. And they memorize them. And, and they do that. And they're learning they're learning doctrine. We have one in our bookstore, the Shorter Westminster Catechism. Um, but we've got a little laminated booklet that we made that just kind of goes through like flashcards and, and, and go through them. Uh, so you can catechize your children. You can, um, you can have chalkboards up. We do this too with scriptures around the house. Um, or, or, or in other ways, have scripture up around your house. I think that's a great idea. Um, you can discuss truth over, uh, over the dinner table. At bedtime, in in the car, uh, what I'm saying is 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 to seize those mundane moments to communicate and impart grace. So it's just lots of time. It's just about redeeming the time. And and what are those times for you? Is it is it when you're driving in the car? Are are those great moments to to teach your kids and to, and to talk truth? Is it is it at bedtime? Um, bedtime is just works really well for us because when our when our boys are together, they, they tend to feed off each other and, and lead one another into, into sin. So at bedtime, when they're all in their separate beds, you know, I can go around with each of them and spend, and spend time with them. And that tends to be just the moments that God opens up that we want to, want to take it, take advantage of. Um, maybe it's around the dinner table, whatever it is. Um, maybe you bring up current events. We, we talk about current events a lot and then we, we talk about what, so what do you think about that? And, um, you know, we talked about this, this guy in, um, in Ohio, right? This guy last week that uh, kidnapped these, these three girls. I mean, we're careful, you know, how much we talk to our kids about, but we do want them to know, you know, what, what sin is and, and how bad it can be and how bad it can go. And, and then we talk about that and say, what do you think about that? What is it? How does, how does God feel about that? And, and how should we, how should we deal with this? And how should we handle this? And how should we deal with this guy? And, and what about these girls and, and whatever it is. So just looking for opportunities to help them to begin to, to think and to see things through, through God's truth. And as well, last thing I'll say about this is look for times when your children are particularly open to spiritual truths. And I don't know when that is for your kids. But it might take some investigation. But I think every kid is different. And there are times where kids will be particularly open to spiritual truths. With some of my boys, it is first thing in the morning. Uh, for some of them, it's late at night in bed. Um, for some of them, it is after, 
something traumatic happens. Something traumatic happens like, whoa, you've got a, you have a window here where they're a, a, a sponge and, and you, some of you, you experience it because they're listening in a, in a different way and I have their attention in ways that I don't, I don't normally have them. So just don't, I always encourage you to just stay there as long as you can. Sometimes you just can't. Um, so don't get desperate. But stay there as long as you can and, and just try to, try to pack whatever you can, um, in, the, in their little minds and hearts when you have those opportunities that you see that the Spirit brings about where, where there's, there's an openness there that you can, you can talk to them. So here's a, here's a resource list as well. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I need that one because I marked it. And uh, just, just, you know, just take some and pass it behind you. Tina, if you could just take one and then just pass it behind you. Um, and so these are some resources to to help you. Um, resources for parents, for moms specifically, for fathers specifically, and for and for children. Um, some of these we don't carry, and and I'm fine with that because they're they're good. But we've got other ones that really take care of it. And a, and a couple of these I was looking at today that I don't think we carry. Um, Marina, I was going to talk to you about it that we'll, that we'll order up. Um, let me just highlight a few of these. One is, uh, and I know that, uh, I know that until recently I just had boys. So, so a couple of these are, I, I'm, I'm probably thinking too much like I have boys. And so it's not going to work for you with your, with your girls. Um, for example, this book, but, um, I don't even know if my boys remember this. When they were really little, we read through this a couple times. It's called Trial and Triumph. And it is a, it is a great book. And parents, you will love it. Um, and your, your kids will love it. And I think especially, uh, boys love it. There's violence. There's violence in this book. And it, it basically, it, it is telling stories about, about amazing Christian and men and women, many of whom died, uh, died for their faith. And so it, it it tells their it tells their stories, and so you, you you want you know you want your kids to have heroes, right? And these are the kinds of heroes that you want you want your kids to have. Um, so trial and triumph is really good. Um, some of you were here last night for the Lewis family was here, and they talked a lot about traditions, which I was really helped by. And um, this would be one of those books that I don't think we carry, but maybe we should start. Um, it's on your list, though. Uh, we, yeah, we do, I, I got that backwards. We carry it, it's not on your list. I realize that stuff, it's not on your list, but treasuring God in our traditions. Uh, you want a ton of traditions in your family. You want lots and lots of traditions. You want like every week to have a tradition. I mean, cause traditions are just fun, right? Um, and it, it's, it's, it's wonderful for just, it's glue. It's glue for a family. So anyway, you can read about that. Uh, traditions are good. Um, so leading little ones to God. I mean, it's what we're calling the class. You can, uh, I love this book. It is super old and super cheesy. I mean, really cheesy and there'll be really corny suggestions. And I got to tell you, I love that about this book. And we've done the corny stuff. We've done the cheesy stuff and we're like corny for Christ. Uh, it's one of those books though that if you, if you, are, if, if family worship seems just daunting to you, you can use a book like this and you can just read it. 
just start, just sit down with your kids and read it because it, it gives you a prayer to pray, it gives you a song to sing, and it gives you scripture to read. And it, it, it's, it's great. It's great. So leading little ones to God, I know we sell that. I don't think I need to talk about this, the Jesus Storybook Bible. I don't even think you're allowed to be a member here if you don't own a copy um, of that book. Um, we've got a lot of R.C. Sproul books that he writes for kids, and I love them all. Uh, the Prince's Poison Cup, though, is really is really a special book, really a special book. And then, um, and then this one we just started carrying. The same gal who wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, and it's called Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing. And I don't even know how this book is described by the author, but what I the way we use it is it's like short, it's short devotionals for kids. To me, it's like uh, uh, Spurgeon's morning and evening uh, for kids. And they're just short little, they're short little devotions. So this is what, this is what Peyton uses for his devotions. He comes out to my office. Peyton's my early riser. Peyton gets up on his, he would get up earlier if I let him, but he gets up between 545 and 615 every morning. And comes out to my office every morning and has a devotion. Just on his own. Just comes out and he, he, it's crazy. I know. And it's, it's nothing I did. Um, he comes out and he, he reads this and then he reads, uh, reads the Bible. I'm usually out there doing my devotion. It just, it just works in our family. And so then he'll talk to me a little bit about it. And then he goes out and feeds animals. I'm like, who are you? He's like a 10 year old farmer, you know? So anyway, but thoughts to make your heart sing. Do you like this book? Yeah. What do you like about it? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, cool. So anyway, thoughts to thoughts to make your heart sing is a is a really is a really great book and a great resources uh, resource. And so there's there's other there's other resources too uh, that are on that list. Um, so look through them and see if something's helpful. And and I, I think I have every one of these. So if if you have a question, if you have a question about one of them, um, just let me know. Oh, and I, I was going to just say this too, that. Um, so this is a, I would recommend this for every, every, every man, every man, um, even a man who's not married yet, um, but certainly husbands and dads. It's called The Shepherd Leader at Home. I just, I just read this book a couple months ago and it's good. So The Shepherd Leader at, at Home. And we, we have that, we have that in our library too. So anyway, there's some resources. So last thing here, um, under Parents as Prophets is to, to know that the root word, okay, so we're here we are, we're, we're teaching our kids, right? We're, we're giving them truth. Okay, Tricia Lewis last night, she said that she read this quote by a Jewish woman that says she wanted, to, that she followed and applied it to her Christian faith. And this Jewish woman said that when, with my kids, I want to crack their heads open and stuff in the Torah. Kind of graphic, but kind of cool. And so here you are, you're stuffing God's word into your kids' heads. But here's what you want to, here's what you want to remember. The root word for prophet, nabi, means to boil over. So when teaching our children about God, we should boil over. Not in anger, right, but in passion and excitement. So you, if, it, if you're not one of those people, you know. But if you, if you are and, and you, you have affections toward Christ and you have emotions toward Christ... Learn to and grow in your ability to express that 
It goes back to what we talked about earlier, so that your kids see that these aren't just words, but that it it affects mom and dad. We are excited about this. We are joyful about this. We we need this. Jeremiah 29. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. That's what we want to be with our kids. Jeremiah says, if you tell me I can't talk about God, he's like, that is like a fire inside my bones that has to get out, and I cannot, I cannot keep it in. So when we're teaching our, 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 our children, we, 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 want, we want to boil over with passion and excitement. So parents are prophets. You are mouthpieces of God to your children. Declare truth. Number two, parents are priests. We are all priests in Christ. Some references. We can come before God with boldness and confidence on behalf of others. We take our children before God and we bring God to our children as his servants and representatives as Christ blesses our children through us. So you are between, right, your children and God. And you're going to God on behalf of your children and praying for them. This is what a priest does. And you're going to your children on behalf of God. And God is ministering and serving your kids through you. We look at how Jesus dealt with people. We want to offer, we must offer them to God in prayer, our children, and care for them as priests. We should sympathize with them the way Christ sympathizes with us. He is moved with compassion toward us. He knows our sin and our weaknesses and how vulnerable we are to the power of sin. And so we want to sympathize with our children. When our, when our children are rebellious, we, want, we don't want to be angry at our children. We want to, we want to pity our children. We want, to, we, want to, we want to see how vulnerable they are to sin. And we want to recognize where, what that means in their relationship with God. We want, to, we want to see the, the distance that is between them and God. And we want to see that frustration. We want, we, want our hearts to go, we want our hearts to go out to them like a priest so that we can minister to them. Psalm 103.14 in regards to how God knows us. He knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. So I pray my children, I pray my children know their sin, know their savior, be kept from sin, be drawn to the savior, live holy, Christ-centered lives in the Bible. So parents are priests. So the simple application, pray to God for your children. Pray to God for your children. Pray generally for your children, pray specifically for your children. You know, you if you know what your kids' issues are, what their particular struggles are, you know, most of you do. You know their frame. You know what they're susceptible to. Pray for them specifically. Set aside time to pray for them specifically. Pray for them generally. Thank God for your children. Ask God to help your children. Ask Him to save your children. And then finally, finally, parents are kings. Parents are kings. Christ rules over and protects his people with mercy and benevolence. He is our benevolent dictator. We should rule and protect our children with mercy and benevolence. Look at the kind of king God is. I mean, every parent knows that they, well, most parents know that 
I, I know I'm to lead my children. I know I'm to rule my children. I know that I am in authority over my children. But what kind of, what kind of an authority are we going to be? And it's good to look at Christ and see that how he deals with us. He's in authority over us. How does he deal with us? Look at these verses from Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. This is how we want to rule over our children. This is how we want to lead them. Isaiah forty eleven. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is describing Christ, our king, who's also our shepherd. And we're to follow his example in how we lead our children. So the application is that, that parents are kings. So we must rule well and we must rule well because our children are are watching us. Our children are watching us. So the way that we lead them and the way that we exercise authority over them, what we want that to do is to demonstrate to them the power of the gospel in our lives. So we're praying for our kids, right? We're praying for our kids. We're declaring truth to our kids. But we want our life, I said this before, we want our life to match up. So if we're, if we're declaring the gospel to our kids, we want to demonstrate the gospel. We want our kids to see that the gospel has power in mom and dad's life. We want them to see that the gospel has changed mom and dad. That the gospel is, is, is what mom and dad need. So this is the last thing we'll look at is specifically demonstrating the power of the gospel. And how do we how do we do that? How do we demonstrate the power of the gospel to our kids? First, we understand. And this is a sobering truth. Parents example has an inescapable and undeniable influence and effect upon their children. That's frightening, right? That is really frightening. And there are days where that reality will just will wipe. Maybe not for me, which is it'll wipe you out. Have you ever have you ever seen that you don't 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 raise your hand or, you know, nod your head. But I've seen my boys do something. That reminds me of me in my flesh and in my sin. And it's true. That parents' example has an inescapable and undeniable influence and effect upon their children. Okay, modeling precedes teaching. Modeling precedes teaching. Teaching involves explaining what children already observe in the lives of their parents. So either the teaching is going to be totally disconnected from our example or... So when we explain the gospel, 
If we're living in a way that demonstrates the power of the gospel, then we're teaching our kids and explaining to them why mom and dad live this way. But if all our kids see is, you know, this bad example, but we're talking about how great God is and, and the power of the gospel, are they going to think that the gospel has any power? They're not going to believe the gospel has any power at all. Because modeling precedes teaching. Biblical instruction cannot be divorced from personal example. Did some of you have parents that said, do as I say, not as I do? And did that ever work? Was that ever legit to you? It, it was not, right? It was not. We want to be able to say to our... We, we, want, we don't want our teaching divorced from our example. So what we want to be able to say to our kids is, is follow me. Follow me. Do this like daddy does it. Do this like mommy does it. Follow my example. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Number three. Consistency in practice confirms the authenticity of the gospel and promotes the attractiveness of the gospel. So if there's any contradiction between our proclamation and our practice, it undermines the effectiveness of our teaching. So let's throw out some practical things here. Undeniable evidences of the transforming effect of the gospel. How do I display this power of the gospel to my kids? We want to strive to make a godly impression on our children. So when we talk about it, don't contrive these things. Like don't pretend these things. But if you can really do these things, then know that when you do them authentically, you are demonstrating the power of the gospel for your kids. It may seem little. But you are, you are supporting what you're teaching them if you're teaching them the gospel. I'll just read them off. Affection expressed in worship, both in private and with church gathered. So anyway, you can't contrive this. Don't make it up. It's like the next time you're worshiping with your kids, like, wow, you're really, really into this. Is that a, is that a tear? <laughs> you can't contrive this, right? But if you have affection for God, let your children see your affection for God. Look for opportunities. If, if you are overwhelmed with affections for God and your kids aren't there, but they're around, go get them. Go get them. And tell them, tell them what's going on. Explain to them what's going on. If you're, if you're moved in whether you're singing a song or reading a scripture or reading a book about scripture or something that somebody has said to you that ties back to the Lord, okay, you want your kids to see that. You want them to see your affection expressed in worship both in private and when the church is gathered. If it's contrived, that just backfires. It does the opposite. If it's genuine, it's good. Gospel-centered living with parents. So if... That can sound kind of nebulous. If, if, if mom and dad right, are, are loving each other the way they should, and if mom and dad are forgiving one another the way they should, and if mom and dad are speaking to one another the way that they should, that has tremendous impact 
on little boys and little girls. Because they see a consistency. And when they don't see that, they see an inconsistency. Which is why I'll skip one. Confession of sin and quick to repentance. We demonstrate the power of the gospel to our children when we are quick to confess sin to our children and we're quick to repent to our children. That is not, uh, that is not putting your kids above you. That is not putting them in authority over you. Uh, that, is, that is not... I've heard some parents say, well, I don't, I don't want my kids to know of my sin because I don't want them to imitate my sin. And it's like, your kids know of your sin. They, they know of your sin. And, and to demonstrate the power of the gospel with our kids, we don't have to not sin. In fact, when we do sin, we demonstrate for our kids our need for the gospel Okay, what our children do, where it breaks down and where they don't see the power of the gospel is if we sin and we don't repent and we don't confess to them. If we don't do that now, we're not seeing the power of the gospel. Because the power, part of the power of the gospel is what? I have been forgiven by Christ. I have been washed clean by Him. So I can, I can confess sin. I can forgive others. So be quick to, when you're, the other side of that is when, when our children sin against us, be quick, be quick to forgive them. Be quick to reconcile with your kids. We've always tried to be just dramatic about this with our kids. Like when they're in trouble, countenance changes. We love them. We don't do silent treatment. We don't ignore them. We don't prolong punishment. We don't do any of that, but we're serious with them. And they know from our tone and our countenance, we want everything to express to them, you are in a bad place right now and you are in danger and you are running from God and going astray where there is sadness and sorrow and tears and you're not in the place where there is joy and blessing and laughter and smiles and hugs. And this is how we talk. And it's a very serious thing. And it's, but, but we've always been real dramatic about it. But as soon as there's a turning, as soon as I'm sorry, please forgive me. Like we dramatically change. We try to instantly connect it with, with, with what's going on and our face lights up. Okay, like I grab them and squeeze them and I'll pick them up and kiss them. You know, they're 10, 9, whatever. And, and just try to dramatically give them a picture every time. Okay, that there is always forgiveness for the repentant. Always. Always forgiveness for the repentant. And so we want to, we want to demonstrate that. We want to demonstrate that to our, to our kids. Um, if they see growth in, in character, our kids should be seeing us convicted of sin and confessing sin. They should see us becoming more righteous and, and, and more godly. Passion for involvement in the, in the local church. Compassion for the, for the lost. And when we do these things and we demonstrate the power of the gospel in our lives, then we're not merely telling our kids to love God. Now we're cultivating in them love for God. And we're just, that's why all three of these are important. And we're just telling them the truth, but it's not connecting to our life. We're just telling you, you need to love God. You need to love God. You need to love God. And their question is, why? 
Why? Because you tell me, I understand that, but why do I need to love God? Why would I love God? So they need to see you loving God. They need to see the, the benefits of, of God in your life. They need to, to, to see change in you. They need to see you demonstrate the power of the gospel in your, in your life. So we want to teach them about God. We want to let them see us loving him, sharing with him, worshiping with him, and on and on and on. We want to be able to say, 1 Timothy 3.14, this has always been super convicting for me. Can we say to our children, as Paul said to Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. So he tells Timothy, he says, continue. He says, continue to follow Christ, continue to believe the gospel. And and the reason he gives them of why he should continue to believe in Christ and and follow Christ's example and, and believe the gospel. The reason he gives Timothy in this case is I want you to remember your mom and your grandma. I want you to remember Eunice and Lois. And I want you to remember their life. And when you remember their life. That will, Paul is saying, that should, that should cause in you a desire to love and follow Jesus because you saw not only truth come from them, but you saw the, the gospel, you saw the gospel demonstrated. So it's a lot of material, but again, just let me, let me boil that down. We are prophets as parents, so declare truth to your children. You are priests. Pray for your children. You are kings. Demonstrate the power of the gospel to your children. I really believe if you don't do, if you don't focus on anything else with your with your kids, okay, this is foundational. Pray for your kids. Figure out how to grow in praying for your kids. Teach truth to your kids. Figure out how to grow in teaching truth to your kids, and demonstrate. Let it out. Demonstrate the power of the gospel, your relationship with Christ. Demonstrate that to your kids and figure out how to grow, how to grow in that.